they're world famous in Perth. And they've just popped in for a cuppa and a chat. Welcome to Katie Lamb's Personalities. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Katie Lamb. This is Personalities, the podcast, episode seven. And today's Personality is Channel 7 sports presenter. You'll hear him talking sport on the radio during footy season as well. He's an ex-AFL footballer being part of the inaugural West Coast Eagles team. He's the new president of Perth Football Club just this year. And he writes a column in the SDM. To be honest, he does a bit of everything. Uh, on top of that, he's a father, a husband and pet lover. His name is Adrian Barrage. Welcome. Hey, Katie, it's uh, great to be on your podcast. Uh, really nice, actually. Well, just off the back of Pet Lover. Now, I got that off your Instagram bio, by the way. Um, and it was a few months ago you wrote an article. Yeah. I know, sorry to, sorry, yeah. sorry to start with a bit of death. But you wrote an amazing article about your two uh, pug dogs, Bean mm. and Hattie, yeah. and the journey of having to put them down. Now, I got sent that article because I'm the mother of two cavoodles, Reggie and Ronnie. Uh, um, and I was like, I'm not reading that. Do you want to see me o- break down? Are they okay, Reggie and Ronnie? They're, they're uh, under three years oh, old. Sweet, they're thriving, sweet. right? But I read it yesterday at work. Big mistake. Puddle of tears, Barra. <laughs> it was so beautifully written, though, uh, and a good insight into what the end sort of looks like when mm. you, as you call them, family members get to that stage. Yeah, you know, it feels like that. They are part of the family, aren't they? The thing mm. about dogs, the only flaw they've got is they don't live long enough. Oh, yeah. Like, And you don't think about it, do you? think, oh, like in 12 years' time, this is going to be super painful because you get so many great days and then one really, really bad day. Yep. And it's a really bad day. And we had two really bad days because for some reason we ended up with three pugs. We had two. They were friends. And then a lady went to America and she said, could you look after Hattie while I go to America? And we said, yeah, sure. You know, it gets on with our pugs. And then she never came back because of COVID. She got trapped over there and then she just stayed in America. So we inherited this third pug and (laughs) it, it was very funny seeing me with, you know, Chunky with no neck, we're walking three pugs <laughs> and Subi. You can imagine like people going, that is ridiculous. And it did look ridiculous. But the painful part of it was that if I had a choice over again, I'd just have one dog. I know you've got two, but I would just have one because you just, you know, the end of life scenarios are just so bad. Mm. And my vet is, it's just down the road here actually, my vet's um, Greg Wilkinson, former Subi player. And to have to go through, because two of them got ill and got cancer and, um, you know, you have to make those decisions that you don't want to make. Yeah. And uh, it was horrible. My wife couldn't stay and I, so I had to stay and, you know, it's, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, and I don't know how the older people do it too. That's who I felt for mostly because mm. they often have, uh, that's their only friend or their pet or whatever and they lose and they can't really get a new one mm. because, you know, where they're staying or whatever or the scenario, older people find it tough to buy animals. They're very expensive nowadays, that sort of thing. So makes it makes all those emotions come up. But, um, yeah, so I'm putting people off having dogs, aren't I? <laughs> but as you said, the, the risk of love is loss and the price of loss is grief. And I guess it happens in families too, but, you know, people tend to live a lot longer. You just never – you always just think your dog's going to live forever. Don't you think? Well, I'm certainly, I never grew up with dogs, so I never experienced that as a younger child. And now I've got two. (laughs) I'm really making up for lost time. And when it's almost like, 
I was randomly educated that dogs don't live very long. And I was like, oh, my God, so my, Reggie's like almost three. And I'm like, okay, this, this like feels like tomorrow to me. It's just so scary. I'm so sorry I tripped you off. <laughs> I, I guess I just wrote that column as to and – it, and it's now I've got the older one and she's like 13. Oh, God. And um, Lily, so she, that's like 90. You know, she's suddenly getting older and isn't that not that keen on the walks again and she can't hear properly or see and so she sometimes loses us. And uh, They're so good, though. The more I, kn- I know about dogs, the more I love them and uh, the more I know about people, the more I love dogs as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? They're worth it. They're definitely worth it. Hey, um, you moved to Perth in 1984. Yep. Um, you started playing for Perth Demons and now you're the president of Perth Football Club just this year, right? Have you bitten off, I mean, a bit more than you can chew? You were doing so much already, Barry. You know, we haven't won a premiership since 1977. Mm. So that's kind of why I've gone back in because, um, oh, well, I'm a life member and I wanted to give back to the club. But also there's a heap of people who are just hanging around and just dying, literally dying to have a premiership. Mm. And we're losing more every year. I'm thinking, I've got to do something about this. Let's just get one done so that everyone's happy. Uh, it's a little bit harder than I thought it would be. But, yeah, I think it's worthwhile. Uh, yeah, came here in 84. I, my family's from Perth, though. Right. Uh, my dad went to work as a diplomat in Canberra, and then we lived in Bangkok for a couple of years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, um, when I was a little kid. So I, I came back first, and then they all followed me back. My dad was emigrated here in the 50s from war-torn Europe, got sent to Northern, couldn't speak English when he got here. My favourite dad story is... Um, he went to CBC Leaderville. He used to catch the trams. They had trams in those days. Really? Yeah, can you believe it? In Perth, there were trams. P- Perth? I have never known Perth to have trams. In se- they've got that trackless tram. Have you heard about that? That's coming out? That's going for And I'm, like, I'm pretty sure that sounds like a bus. But anyway. <laughs> but apparently they were everywhere in the old days. And uh, he caught one to school. And the bus, the, the tram driver, he gets on and he goes, hey, kid, where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to school. Could hardly speak English, you know. And he goes, yeah. no school today, kid. And he goes, uh, why is that? Why, why no school? He goes, the king died. He goes, king? King who? It's <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't know that Australia had a king. Yeah. Well, king George had just died, right. right, in the 50s. And there was a public holiday. Oh, wow. So they went home oh. to his mum and he said, and they didn't have radio or TV, he went home to his mum and he said, hey, mum, no school today. And she goes, what do you mean no school? King died. King who, back to school. Get back to school. And he went back to school and hung around till 3 o'clock. Oh, bless him. Only kid there. He couldn't convince his mum there was a king. Well, he was, well, yeah, he come from Italy or Croatia <laughs> or whatever. You wouldn't have thought that Australia had a king. So I, I met someone yesterday. It was weird. I met a guy and he said, I've grown up with you. This is what, he's looking me in the eye and he goes, I've grown up with you. You've been with me. All my life. Yeah. And you, because for people who know you as well, you may have played rugby or footy with you and now yeah. you're on the TV and you write columns, so you're kind of everywhere. It just means you're really old, doesn't it? Like <laughs> I was embarrassed. He goes, you've been with me. He's been in his 30s. <laughs> you've been with me all my life. Yeah. I go, really? Has it been a good trip? Yeah, yeah, no, I love you and all this sort of stuff. And I suppose that's good, but, geez, that does mean you're old. Well, so I've been through every drama, mm. every high, every low in football. Oh, yeah. The creation of the West Coast Eagles, I was part of it. The demise of the Eagles during the, you know, the 2008 period, the Ben Cousins era, you know, the comeback, what happened this time, the advent of the West, of the uh, Fremantle Dockers, uh, I just... You can ask me anything. I've been, I was there. I yeah. was at the cutting edge. Exactly. I know all the stories. Probably can't say them all, but 
I've we, seen it all. Embers knows a few. Yeah, Embers <laughs> does know a few. Hey, um, uh, playing Waffle, uh, and you would know this now being in it, the game has changed so much. So my dad, Phil Lamy, played for Subiaco. You used to play on him probably back in the day. Um, watching sort of footage from him playing to watching the game now, it's changed so much in your era and your days of playing. Who was sort of like the toughest opponent back in the day? Oh, there was, there was some very frightening men. Your dad was actually a fair player. I yeah. played against your dad. Yeah, I, I was with your dad on the weekend, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they relaunched Subi Oval. Oh, right. Yeah, and um, all the Sandover medalists were there. Yep. There was one, they've left out three Sandover medal years on the actual Sandover walk. They didn't put Barry Cable's name in for obvious reasons. And um, Rita Safiotti relaunched Subi. It was very historical. When we played, it was, there was only one umpire too, so they could get away. There was a lot of violence. Gee, that'd be fit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the umpires yeah. would fit, yeah. But plus they didn't see a lot because no. there's only one. And so you could get away with murder. And mm. there's a lot of things that happened that probably shouldn't have happened. And uh, that's why they've got now to have three umpires and mm. they've changed it up. And the waffle was the ultimate competition. And then the AFL came in and kind of ruined everything. Mm. Like it ruined the waffle, as right. you probably know. Your yeah. dad was a king, yeah. playing for Serbia, played in the flags, played in the 86 flag. Then they said, oh, we're, we're joining the AF, the VFL in those days and it's going to be the West Coast Eagles. And suddenly the waffle got downgraded and I was staggered when they called them the West Coast Eagles too. And apparently they tried to get Neil Armstrong over here to be part of it because like the Eagle has landed oh and God. Neil was going to sort of be the face Are of it. Are you serious? And he said he, said he couldn't make it, but <laughs> he thought about it because you know, apparently the, the, the spaceship went over Perth at one stage and that's when we got called the City of Lights or something like that. So he had this connection. And somebody knew him. and So anyway, that was the start of the West Coast Eagles and they changed, they changed the competition forever. And for five, it took us only five years to win a flag, which mm. is extraordinary. The Dockers, I think they're going into their 30th year. Back with more of Katie Lamb's personalities in a tick. 1992 for West Coast Eagles, first premiership. Now, mm. did you get selected no, for that? So no, so I was an emergency and the only contribution I made was... Phil Scott, who your dad played with, and I, we were on the plane over and we're thinking, we're not playing. We're going to miss our place in history. What can we do to contribute to victory? And you know what it was that we could do? Write a letter. (laughs) You wrote a letter? (laughs) And what did the letter say? We wrote a letter saying, dear boys, for the blokes who are going to miss their place in history and will forever have to carry that burden, it started out like that, you know, like in other words. Yeah. Please take your place in history. Make every post a winner. Don't think it's going to happen every year. This is the one. You will never be forgotten. You know, all that sort of stuff yeah. about, you know, you young blokes, you think every year you're going to play in a grand final. It doesn't happen. We've played this many games and we haven't won grand finals. And do it for us. Do it for the blokes who are going to be laughed at for the next 400 years. Because <laughs> <laughs> the other day, the other day they got inducted, that team got inducted into the Hall of Champions at Wace. The entire frigging team of 1992 got inducted. Not the emergency. No, we didn't even get an no. invite. No invite. I got an invite because I'm Channel 7. So I was there. It was excruciating. It was brilliant too. It was bittersweet because Maney's um, wife came and his son Zach mm. to represent Chris and the rest of them were there as well. And uh, they've never, those guys have never bought a beer, paid for a beer in Perth ever since 1992, I can tell you. And yeah. I feel like that's just a common trend. You know, someone like Dom Sheed, who kicked the winning goal oh. in 2018, he reckons he's never paid for a beer since. Oh, yeah. He, he's an icon as well. 
Embers is a bit of an icon too because oh, just ask an- him. No- yeah, that's <laughs> right. He'll tell I'll you as well. <laughs> but he won the Norm Smith. So being the best player and everything everyone tries to attain is to be the play well in big games, in particularly a grand final. And he did, and he won the medal. So. The great thing about it is they can never take it off you as well. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Uh, Ember's had a funny story just uh, on the weekend. He was at the races and he was coming up the stairs and Gay Waterhouse was coming down the stairs and he's gone, oh, my God, Gay, Ember's. And she's gone, hi. And he's gone, oh, um, from the rush hour. <laughs> And we don't even broadcast over in Sydney. She also probably has no idea who he was. And he was like, anyway, enjoy your time in Perth and congratulations on all your success. Embers is used to everybody knowing who he is around Perth, uh, you know. He's one of the great men, Embers. He he's done a lot for the boys too and uh, he's, he's stuck by everyone and, and that whole era, they paid a bit of a price, but, geez, they did well, two, two, two grand finals and a premiership. From playing at West Coast to then going into the media, becoming a well-known sports presenter, how was it reporting on, I guess, the, you know, the West Coast and sort of the downfall of Ben Cousins, especially when you were so close to it all? Yeah. Well, even before that, it was hard because Mick Malthouse was my coach and then I had to sort of report on him. And it became really weird. Because, uh, you know, you're sort of part of the team and then you're out of the team and then you're in the media and they're wondering when they're with you, are you going to listen to what they're saying and you're going to go and report about it? And, you know, there's all that sort of conflict. Like, it makes it so hard. And Malthouse was obviously absolutely paranoid. And I can remember even the boys were telling me even go, media, media is enemy, enemy, even Barra, enemy. Can't tell him anything. You know, like, say, he was... That's how Mick used to talk. He was, he was, he was either... You it's either, like, Mick, I was an emergency, mate, in 92. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> it, it's either black or white, and he's, you're either the, you're with him or you're against him, and that's how he operated, and he had the massive chip on the shoulder. Funny thing is he used to... He really wound us up about the Victorians, you know, because when we first started, like, this is no bull, Katie. We, we, would, we had to pay $4 million to go into the comp, so we actually paid to join the VFL, and we had to fly over the teams and pay their accommodation that we were playing in Perth. Oh, my God. We had to pay their costs to come and play us, right? So, no, we nearly went bankrupt. And then when we are in Victoria, they'd do things like we'd go out to Moorabbin, which was St Kilda's ground, and it'd be a beautiful day in Melbourne. And we think, hey, this is, this is going to be fantastic. And got out on the ground, it was absolutely waterlogged, you know, muddy and patches of water everywhere. And it's, they'd left the sprinklers on all night. Because oh. they knew that we didn't like playing in mud and stuff. Wow. We liked firm ground, so it was like cheating. And then when we one day we went out to the, the Bulldogs at Footscray and Footscray was like, I'd never seen a place like Footscray before. I'd lived in Canberra and Perth and I'd never seen Footscray, right? So I went out there and was, whoa, what's going on here? This is like on Mars. And after the game, it's freezing and they turned off the hot water so we couldn't have hot showers. Oh, my God. And so half of us flew home without having a shower with caked on mud for four hours in <laughs> on our seats and stuff. You would have stunk. So we got a chip, <laughs> we had a chip on our shoulders. But that, see, it backfired. It made us so determined we're going to fix those frigging mm. Victorians. And that's what happened. And the funny thing was Mick was a Victorian, so he was feeding off. He's going, yeah, those Victorians, they hate your guts. And no mm. one went, hey, Mick, aren't you Victorian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he played us beautifully. So mind you. Ex-footballers were never going to help launch the space shuttle, let's be honest. <laughs> so being in the media then and going into it and then having them know like sort of they're against you in a way because that's what they've sort of been taught. But you were also super close to the likes of Ben Cousins. Um, Chris Mayne Waring. Yeah. Chris Mayne Waring. we worked together at seven, yeah. So 
How was it transitioning from football to media and then reporting on the people that you knew and loved? I had a little bit of a break where I went back to the Waffle for two seasons to get my life membership at Perth. And then I played rugby league, national rugby league. So I think I'm the only guy to go from the AFL to the NRL. A lot of guys have gone the other way. Mm. Um, Carmichael Hunt, I was real careful saying Yeah, that, well, And a couple, a couple of other blokes, Carmichael as they call him. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so I, but geez, it's violent rugby league. Because I'd played rugby at school uh, in Canberra. I thought, yeah, how yeah, can it be? Oh, mate, was it hard. It's but, hard. But Mark Guyer and just some, some lunatics that I played with, Just he's, he's sorted himself out. He's on your network, I think, isn't he? Is he Triple M in, in Sydney? He's massive. Right. He's the Prince of uh, Penrith, basically, which is a big area over there, and uh, he's six foot five and 120 kilo. I remember saying to him, I wanted to get in the back of his mind, which wasn't a long trip, I could tell you, and uh, I said, MG, what is it? I couldn't get it. What, do you, what is it you love about this rugby league? And he goes... I love it when I run into blokes and I hear their ribs crack. I love that. Good God. I'm thinking I'm in the wrong sport. (laughs) I am so in the wrong sport. (laughs) You think that like footy and rugby have a little bit of rivalry, don't you think? Oh, but violence-wise, ours is a a contact sport. Theirs is collision sport. Yeah. And because I was a footballer, they tried to target me. They'd yell out, get that Aussie rule, so-and-so, smash him. Very disconcerting when you're running with a ball and you're getting targeted. You know, get that guy, I want to kill him. We're going to make a point about we're tougher than AFL players say anyway. So you would have liked to have been an emergency. Um, in, in when rug- I was playing rugby league, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember I dislocated my finger, it was hanging off, and they come out and they straighten it up and they strap it up and they go, are you going back out now? I go, no way, no. I'm going back out. Maybe the hospital. <laughs> I want to have nice-looking fingers <laughs> at the end of this whole thing. <laughs> Blokes with no teeth and you get knocked out and they ask you if, what your name is. What's your name? And if you can say your name or what day it was, you're allowed to go back on. The oh concussion gosh. wasn't taken seriously in those days. Now, very serious. Back with more of Katie Lamb's personalities in a tick. With Ben Cousins now, because he seems to be doing really well. He's at uh, Channel 7 too. Um, I was just with him at Telethon. We were on the same panel with Rick Arden and everybody was concerned I was going to be a bit of a fangirl for Cuzzy because I love Cuzzy. Um, <laughs> nobody was more of a fangirl than Rick Arden. <laughs> are you serious? I was like, hey, Rick, there are literally four other people part of this panel. Any danger? <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. It's even funnier at Channel 7 because, <laughs> um, I mean, he's a wonderful guy, Rick, and we love him, and yeah. he does he does love Benny. And, and to be fair, he's done a lot for Ben over the journey. And Rick, you don't see – Rick will do – I remember once I was leaving Channel 7, it's when we were in um, Chewett Hill, and he said, oh, Matt Barry, you've got to come with me. I'm just going to go and uh, visit this old bloke down the road, disabled guy. And you go, oh, yeah. And so we go around there, and him and his wife had organised this party for this uh, fellow who'd lost his legs. He was a, like a, uh, an, an invalid and he'd had a cake and he, he, he invited a few of his friends around. He had no friends, this guy, and he just didn't tell anyone. Just And so we were there sort of singing him happy birthday and I went home and no one ever heard about it again. <laughs> this sort of stuff that Rick would do. So yeah, right. he really tried to help Ben uh, over the journey. And, and geez, he's going well, Benny. It's, I'm so happy for him and got his kids back. He's, he's got Bobby going into his old school now uh, at Wesley. Uh, his daughter's flourishing. Um, he's working at seven. Over, we've tracked him for about two years and he's just flying. Um, everything's coming back. I'm so proud of I'm I'm just on the end of a work that's been done by some, in particular his family, like his, 
his dad and his mom and his brothers and sisters have done. It, there's so many people have poured so much work into Ben, but yeah, it's all about timing with that sort of thing, isn't it? You know, you've got yeah. to be ready for it and you've got to have basically hit rock bottom and then you come back and he's done that and he's so humble and so appreciative and he wants to make up for it. The other day, just down here in that vet I was telling you about. Um, in Subi? In, in Subi, the Greg Wilkinson's place. I was waiting with my dog and it was it was actually that around that time when I was six. I was just, it was a sad time for me. And this lady comes in, she goes, Barra, I'm so glad you're here. I want I want to give a, a letter to Ben Cousins. I said, okay. And so she goes behind the desk and grabs a piece of paper and a pen and she grabs it and she starts writing and she starts crying and there's like tears dropping on the page. And she's going, Dear Ben, because she's and she's talking to me at the same time. She's going, you know, you know, without Ben and his encouragement in terms of how he's what he's achieved, I wouldn't be able to get through my son's drug addiction. You know, like I, uh. this, we are hanging our hat on, you know, what Ben was able to do, and so is my son. And I just wanted him to know that, even though I don't know him and he, I'll probably never meet him, he has made a profound difference to my life. Yeah. And she she wrote out this this letter and gave it to me to give to Ben. So I think he kind of, he's starting to kind of realise that sort of stuff that even just being around and doing well and succeeding is inspiring and helping people. I mean, there's a certain percentage of people that can't get over what happened, but mostly they're very supportive because he mostly damaged himself. And he now, he was at Bankshire the other day, I saw with the prisoners, you know, passing on advice to them about, you know, how he was able to negotiate being in jail and get, getting out and, putting his life back together. So I think a lot of people, you know, particularly in Perth, they are either one side. I think more, more people are, are pro Ben and, mm. and want to see him succeed, especially because as he said, he did damage himself. Yes. His family and, and friends around him crumbled too, but he's sort of coming out the other end. A lot of people are like, why are we glorifying a drug addict? Um, however, seeing him now thrive and doing so well, it, it does, it gives so many people hope that mm. there is light at the end of a very dark tunnel. It can be done. And um, he did get a lot of chances. There's no doubt about it, but also he had to live out his personal, um, persecution or uh, his troubles in public. You know, how many front pages would there have been in the famous yeah. shot in Northbridge and the the other day I was at the beach with him and the I forgot he had that tattoo. And oh, so, yeah. you know I'm and, jealous. So he had his top off then. And people were just coming from everywhere to get photos. Like, <laughs> and he never says no. He's always he'll do a million selfies. When we, you, oh, you were with him at Telethon. He went outside after being on the panel with you and sat in that booths out there and just until everyone had gone through. He was walking around with the Sharpie. <laughs> was he he was. Signing autographs. So I think there's, you know, there's a role for him, the absolute role for him in society and even without working in that field, he's, he's giving people hope because everyone knows someone who's been touched by this scourge, don't you reckon? Yeah. You know, it's it's so prevalent. So, yeah, so that's been actually, that's actually been, been giving me... Um, Inspiration. Oh, this sounds like an inspiration to go on. It sounds like I'm buddy, but um, no, just you know, just <laughs> as I, as you get older, you look for things to sort of um, to get you through life, don't you? You've sort of been mentoring him in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're friends, and and you know, I'm good friends with his dad. I played with his dad, right? So, yeah, Brian. played with your dad. Played with yep. his dad. Played with every dad. That's how old I am. <laughs> Everyone's dad. <laughs> Didn't play with Ember's dad. Did Ember's dad play? I don't know. <laughs> you I don't, don't ever know. hear about his dad. Do you? No, you only hear about him. <laughs> It's so true. Um, It's funny because it's true. (laughs) Yeah, I know. The highs and lows of your job then, I guess, there would be so many highs, but the the lows, I guess, would be 
seeing such stars fallen mm. in your time. Uh, Daniel Kerr, one of them, Daniel yeah. Chick. Yeah. And then you have to report on it. The reason I'm in sport mostly is because uh, it's mostly good news. Mm. You know, like if you're a proper journalist, like a news person, you know, yeah, you deal with a lot of death and mayhem and you see a lot of things you just don't want to see and death knocks and stuff like that. And it's like, whoa, I'm just not cut out for that. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not doing a great job, but I just, I just think you've got to be a special person in that and, and you have to – it does toughen you. I mean, but then we've had our own – because I'm a bit of a personality, I suppose you'd say, I, I sort of know. Oh, hey, hey, hey. You just said the name of the podcast, everybody. <laughs> is that Personalities? Personalities. No, right? <laughs> it's called Personalities. Well, I love that I'm you're on talking <laughs> on the podcast and you didn't know what it was called. I love that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm a big fan, though. No, I know. Long-time listener. Um, yes, First anyway. time caller. <laughs> you are a personality, yes. And so... I. One of the ones that sticks out for me is apart from the, the Ben scenario, knowing what was actually going on behind the scenes and trying to work out who's in the wrong or how do we solve this, Daniel going to jail and now he's out and his sister being one of the most famous sports people in the world. And he, she used to idolise him. Yeah, absolutely. And she wanted to go to Aquinas and they had to tell her it's yeah. a boys' school. You yes. can't go and you can't play for the Eagles, by the way, either. <laughs> but now you can. Now. Yeah, absolutely. And so she went to visit him as well. So I would know that she'd be going to visit him in jail so that would have been a big story mm. but you know he's sort of going well where's the line where do i say channel seven it's going to be pretty obvious who <laughs> dobbed them in who, who tipped them off you know and, right and you got a person i'm close to roger kerr who's sam's ma uh, sam's son sam's um dad and um of course roxanne as well the mum probably the funniest one that i got caught out with was damien drum and this this really burnt me actually in terms of um, being a full blown journalist because somehow Mark Duffield and I knew that Damien Drum had been sacked by the Fremantle Dockers, so they they'd actually had a board meeting, and they decided to sack him, and it kind of leaked out to us, and they had to tell the Footy Commission about it. So there was this gap, this lag, and I knew where he was for some reason. I knew he was at this conference at the Duxton, so I went down there thinking that he would have been told by by now. And he comes out of this meeting and clearly he didn't know he'd been sacked. Oh, no. And he goes, hey, Barra, how are you? Looking forward to a good season. You know, I go, uh, drummy. And um, I couldn't actually do it. I actually sort of almost handballed to another fellow there called Steve Nilkovsky who ran, he runs baseball in this town. And he basically was the one who said, uh, oh, Damien, uh, we believe you've been sacked. He goes, uh, what are you talking about? And he looks at Mark Duffield and he says, Duff, is that true? And Duff goes, Yes. <laughs> like this. <laughs> and poor old drummy goes, what? Oh, no. I've been sacked. And then he, then he charges off. And I thought, where's he gone? He was charging after the CEO I was in the same meeting with him. He clearly knew he'd been sacked. I'd been sitting with him all afternoon, but couldn't tell him. Oh, God. So it's just one of those situations. Just want to be. Because have you ever been sacked? Uh, no, I've never been sacked. Yeah, so I've never been sacked either, but I've yeah. seen it and I've gone close and I just can imagine how painful it would be, let alone having some nufty tell you that you'd been sacked. Back with more of Katie Lamb's personalities in a tick. Where do you draw the line? Like, have you ever done a story or uh, spoken about something and you've gone, oh, I shouldn't have done that? Often, often and... Uh, and it's just inside information too. And I always think, is this really, really important? You know, like, is this going to, it might sell a few more papers or I might get a few more ratings, but that's my job as well. So you're always, you're always juggling that. That's a journal, real journalists do all the time. And then 
the painful times of the, the Ben scenario and knowing where he was and then having to get him to come into Channel 7 to do that apology and him wearing that funny shirt because it was like a protest against having to do it and people watching he thought would understand that he didn't really want to do it. He was under, you know, he was under pressure to do it and things he was saying was not, he didn't really mean it. But now he realises that back then he should have been, a, anyway, you can imagine the scenario. And then we lost Maney and um, so I was at the Royal Show and it's like 2007. So mm. that's how long it's been now. 16. Is it my math correct? Sorry, I'm really bad at math. 16 years, yeah. 16 years? Yeah. And I got the call there and, you know, and then they th- I thought I'd have to read the news. Like I would have started bawling. Yeah. Like absolutely crying, even though I wasn't doing the story. And Rick was magnificent. The way that Rick and Sue handled it, <laughs> I just, I just, I, I almost tear up every time I think about it because uh, he, the way Rick was able to deliver the news, but then sort of start to lose it a bit at the end of the news. He was our friend. Mm. He was our colleague. He was really emotional. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I'll always stick up for Rick because of just you could see that he actually cared, and I think people realise that too, don't they? At home, oh, a hundred percent, yeah. yeah. And they come across, and that's why Rick and Sue think they've been number one for thirty-seven years or something. They're literally Perth royalty. I mean, speaking of personalities, Barra. Yeah, you have if to get, I could get, you Rick get Rick and Sue in here. I get Rick on. That'll be classic. I should get. I would lure Rick in by getting Cuzzy on. I reckon <laughs> him and Cuzzy together. <laughs> Every year we have a um, Christmas tape of bloopers of things that happen. It never gets out, thank God. And what people <laughs> say behind the scenes and how they operate and the mistakes you make is bloody funny. One time I was doing a cross to the Dockers. I reckon the Dockers did it deliberately. So the, the, the car, if you turn on the actual camera car, it drops out the signal to Channel 7 because um, it, it, goes, it actually goes through the car. And so one of our journos decided she wanted to watch in the car so she turned the car on so I didn't know I'd been queued I'm live, I'm live on channel 7 the lead it was Ross Lyon had been sacked and we did we got the queue and we didn't hear it so we're just standing there and 30 seconds you know is a long, a long time, time long time and finally I twigged I started talking and then someone turned the sprinklers on at the back of the oval at Coburn and so the sprinkler was right under my foot and so I was oh, squirting no. the cameraman as well. It was the funniest <laughs> thing. It was on the Christmas day. <laughs> and so I'm trying to stand on this sprinkler, tell the story about Ross Lyon when I don't even have anyone in my ear telling me when to wind up or what's going on and uh, I was brutalised by that. So That's beauty stuff of like that live, live television. TV, yeah, that's right. And why do we do it live? Have you, do you know why we do the news live at six? Why? Well, uh, uh, no, I'm asking you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why wouldn't we just record it at 5.30? Well, just in Be case no something blues. happens, though. They always say, minutes. do it live just in case something happens. I'm like, mate, we live in Perth. Nothing happens. <laughs> like, That's so true. And the funny bit is if it happens at 7, it's like it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make the news. By the 24-hour cycle, by the time you get to next night, <laughs> no, whatever happened at 7.01 never happened. Unless it's a meteor strike or something, it's got to be massive to be. We're walking out the door and some guy rings, I've got this big story, what happened? Nah, it's not important. <laughs> Unless it's massive, you've missed the news tonight. I always wonder why we just don't record at five. Then there'll be no mistakes, pristine, everything be perfect. You can edit it out. <laughs> exactly. I know. No I know. blues. No one gets sued. You can get yeah. the lawyers to check everything. You're never going to get in strife. I could never work that out, but 
but so so for people out there, it is live. It's actually live at six o'clock every night. Live, it's live. It's bizarre. That people is don't bizarre. believe it. I know, but people believe. If you're not in the media industry, a lot of people believe that everything's live all the time. You know what I mean? We might pre-record a Like the late updates. They're segment. definitely not live. That's 10.30 ones. When I'm, if I'm giving you a sport at 10.30, you know Barra's in bed <laughs> and he's recorded it. Back with more of Katie Lamb's personalities in a tick. What, obviously, as you mentioned, the Christmas tape, there'd be so many funny bloopers and things like that that happen sort of behind the scenes. Is there anything that's happened behind the scenes that, you know, you that can, can be you told. Can tell. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> probably not a lot. But. I mean, we're joking about it now, but we have guys like Jeff Parry who went to the Ukraine and was running around in the Ukraine. So you can imagine the stuff that was seen behind the scenes. You know, he's he's actually in a war, proper war zone. Yeah. I'm just going to Eagles training. <laughs> he's going to the war zone. It's so funny. <laughs> and he's so belligerent, isn't he? So, you know, like in your, you call him, they call him the rot wheeler. <laughs> he just goes, he's not scared of nothing. It's incredible. So there's all that sort of stuff. I remember one time I was on air and there was some technical hitch up and they couldn't move the camera and they couldn't get audio. So I had the guy in my ear because he had an earpiece and he's going, don't move, it'll be Finishing a moment, it'll be uh, this will be over in a moment. Don't move, just sit there, look at the camera and nod. Don't pick your nose. And it went for it went for like a minute, which is forever. Oh, and God. it made the footy show actually because Sam Newman got hold of it and <laughs> took the absolute piss out of me on this footy show. Look at this idiot in Perth, just sitting there nodding. And I felt like I should write on my pad, go back in a minute, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to sit there. Oh, it's horrific. Lots of mishaps as well when it comes to Technical live stuff. crosses. You must have it a lot, eh? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not not too bad. Not Probably not as bad as TV. I do think there's more in TV that can go wrong than in radio. At least nobody can see us. Yeah. That's always Although you, fun. you do pre-record a lot of stuff, right? We pre-record and some things, if you yeah. don't have good producers, sometimes stuff slips through. Oh, my God, yeah. You've heard the famous Andrew Jarman story, haven't you? He's talking to his mate about his wife being pregnant. And oh. what action he should take to bring on the pregnancy. Oh, God. And it was a pre record. So he was giving him very forthright advice, which, you know, old school advice, you know, that you, don't, you probably would never never say. And he's getting in his car driving home and he's, he, he hears the start of the interview and he goes, Whoa, I thought we took that bit out. Oh, and no. Going, hang on. Hang on here. Oh, oh, don't tell me it's the old, the old. And, it, it, and he got, I think he got fined $5,000 and got suspended for two weeks for what he'd said. Even though he'd never said it. Yeah. He, he was just. It was in a pre record. Yeah. I know. He said, well, oh, we'll just cut that out, eh? Yeah, that was a bit of a joke. <laughs> if one of uh, Ember's and my live reads, actually, that we actually pre record, it's called a live read because we're doing it for an ad. So we want to edit it up and put it in the in the log. But if any of those accidentally got to wear because of how long it takes Ember's to just get a sentence right, <laughs> and then when he stuffs it up, he's, oh, fuck. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. If any. I How do you go with Ember's? Because footballers, they mangle the language. Which is, you know, Katie, <laughs> we call them embolisms. Yeah, well, there's that, well, malapropisms is a word, and and you call them embolisms. Yeah, yeah, right. Because so, yeah. they're, they're legion at the West Coast Eagles. There was one bloke who was playing footy, and um, he went outside to check what the weather was like. Comes back in, we're all oiled up, ready to go out. And he goes, "Boys, we got to get in front early today. These clouds outside, they're looking anonymous." Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> like you know what? No one actually picked up, but he made a mistake. Anonymous. And his other famous one was um, he's on radio and he said, 
this might have actually been Embers because he can mangle the language and, and get the you know get the expressions wrong. And he said, I don't know about those new rules in the AFL. It'd be a bit like opening a panda's box. <laughs> actually, I have heard that story. I think it might have been Jacko. I don't think it was Embers to be up to, even though it does sound like something Embers would say. Or the kids at the hospital with terrible palsy. Said, <laughs> what? Who said that? That's a better name. I can't say it was, okay. but when we went to visit... Old person's disease? You mean, you mean Alzheimer's disease? I mean, holy crap, how are we going? We're never going to help launch a space shuttle, honestly. <laughs> oh, Emma's does have a lot of very funny stories from back in the day. But they, they, uh, they won a premiership. They could have won two premierships. But some of the boys paid a bit of a price, I suppose you'd say. Yeah, he does have uh, stories about that time, which just sound like that time was very unique because it, it feels like that's never happened again. No, and uh, there, there were a lot of lessons learnt. I think that's what he's saying, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of this will probably get edited out, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> no. Did you used to go to the footy and watch your old man or were you too young? No, I wasn't born yet. So yeah, he, right. he stopped playing in 87 just when it turned into AFL um, and I was born in 1990. He's done a lot for footy, your dad, a lot for footy mm. and he's a, a very good man and he's um, been on the footy commission as well mm-hmm. and contributed in a, in a big way and – been massive for Subiaco. They've won so many premierships. I'm from Perth. We haven't won since 1977. Like your dad's probably got three or four flags, is he? Mm. And some of the other guys have got six and seven. And we yeah. haven't won since 1977. None of us. None of us have won. So that's why I'm trying to get Perth back up there. Well, hopefully you can make a difference. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Did you always know you were going to get into sports presenting after you'd finished your footy career? Was that something you always wanted to do or was there, no. did you have something else? I was a social worker. I wanted to be, sort of help people, so I worked for the Department of Social Security and I was out in the regional offices like Gosnells, Cannington, Armidale, basically helping people in terms of their emergency checks and they'd send me out because I was a footballer to sort of placate people and, 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 and stop blues and all that sort of stuff. And then Michael Thompson, I, I went to do a bit of media for the Department of Social Security and Michael Thompson heard me on, there used to be a show with Graham Mabry on radio. And it was a 6PR, like it's an older person's uh, radio station. It's talk 6PR? Back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know it. And we used to do a show on Social Security and people would ring in, grannies would ring in, Barra, uh, what do I do about my pension? Or, you know, what's the, how's the income test work and all this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, it was, was really good to help people. When Tom I heard and he must, Michael Thompson, he thought, oh, this guy goes all right. He's now an eagle. Um, maybe we'll get him over to Channel 9. So I went to Channel 9 for two years and then they didn't have the footy and Channel 7. I think they were trying to put pressure on Basil Zemplis to make him work a bit harder and so they recruited me <laughs> like a threat. And suddenly Basil goes, <laughs> meteor. <laughs> he made him unbelievable. He gave up footy. He's working on sunrise on weekends and, mate, he's been – so I've, I'm close to Basil too. I'm, I'm staggered he's Lord Mayor, but I'm not staggered. I knew he could do it, but it's incredible that he's become Lord Mayor. He'll be a Premier one day, there's no doubt about it. So, um, yeah, that's how I ended up at Channel 7. We had the footy. I, I did the boundary, did a heap of grand finals. I did all – I was there for all the Eagles' high moments and uh, along with Basil and the rest is history, as they say. What's the pinnacle of your career or greatest story ever that you've ever reported on or greatest moment, whether it's on camera, behind the scenes? I reckon the fun – the best thing I ever did was work with Bear Grylls. <laughs> Big grills, really? Yes, I do. And he was he he was hosting something at the um, Challenge Stadium down down the road here, and I didn't realise, but part and I was the MC, so and 
he so I was knocking around there for a couple of days, and he, the opening part of his presentation was he was climbing on the roof in or the ceiling of of Challenge Stadium, HBF, and then he, but he was going to urinate on me oh, <laughs> as part God. of the opener. <laughs> From up there. Okay. It was like a joke that he had. Like, I don't know God. if it was urine or not. Anyway, he ended up peeing on me. <laughs> and, uh, and you liked it. And the, uh, <laughs> and the fans thought it was fantastic. I didn't understand the the, the myth of, or, the, you know, the cult of Bear Grylls. Did yeah. you? Like, no, no, no. It was I never, massive. He was huge. I was never that into it. But I did um, see some of, you know, his TV shows and things that he did. I was just like, this guy's wild. Yeah, he'd, he'd cut up a, a dead horse and, and sleep in there for a couple of days, you know, to keep warm in the, in the snow. And all. He's t- he told me these phenomenal stories. So that was one of the, that was actually a highlight meeting and working, getting to know blokes like Bear Grylls. Um, but there's, there's heaps of those stories. that I guess when you've been around this long, you do accumulate a few things. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, even though you didn't know the name of this podcast was Personalities, <laughs> and then you called yourself a personality, that was probably the highlight. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and, and chatting about your career so far. It's been really interesting. Katie, it was so good to meet you and spend some time with you. Thank you for having me on your show, Personality. <laughs> <laughs> Was another of Katie Lamb's personalities. Subscribe to the Rush Hour with Embers and Katie podcast in the Listener app to hear more from Triple M's Rush Hour.